Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I'm Michael Lilienthal, and this is Ethan Bartlett, and we're going to talk about books. Hi, I'm Ethan Bartlett, and we're going to talk about books. But we're not talking about Scotch. That's that's correct. Not Scotch. Not, not hashtag sketch. not Scotch. Uh, hashtag not Scotch. Um, speaking of hashtags, the uh, Scotch that we're drinking has a hashtag attached to it. The hashtag Spirit of Rothis. So, I hope that gets put on Twitter somewhere, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Is this a hint that you're... For these episodes? The uh, recent editor and poster of the show to uh, actually start tweeting it's, out the show again? It's a gentle nudge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Your nudges are always so gentle. I know, I know. Right in the ribs. Uh, yeah. So this is the scotch we're drinking, the Glenrothes 12-year uh, Speyside Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, matured only in sherry-seasoned oak casks and bottled at natural color. Um, so what we're saying is it's born with it. It's not Maybelline. It's not Maybelline. Dang it! Uh, <laughs> uh, just a second, though. <laughs> oh, yes. I, you know, I shouldn't make jokes like that because it's Maybelline... Hair dye, or is it conditioner? What is Maybelline? Uh, is it yeah. all of the above? It's, is it just a line of hair products? I think it's one hair product, but like, it will do whatever okay. you want it to. Um, oh, okay. It's, so it's it's like you know when the the traveling medicine men would go selling their wares, this thing that would well, you know, okay. cure your rheumatism, this tonic that would... Medicine uh, is a different thing, but yes, uh, snake oil. Get away with, get get rid of your warts, and it'll also clean your windows. That's Maybelline? Uh, yeah, except for hair, so it's like, if you, need, it. if you need conditioning, it will know, and it will condition your hair. Otherwise, it will, it will wash your hair. Uh, and if you want it to be hair dye, you just put whatever food color you want, like, your hair, so... If you want like red hair, you get some Maybelline, you put some red food coloring in it, and then wash your hair with it. And instead of washing, it will dye. It's a really intuitive product. Yeah, and that's why that's why they have that whole slogan like, maybe you're born with it. Like you're born with intuition, but maybe it's Maybelline because Maybelline is also very intuitive. Uh, so it's and whole... really, the maybe is just like. It means it's it's part this and part this. It's yeah. a, it's a cooperative sort of thing. Well, your intuition that you're born with, and this Maybelline product yeah, that executes exactly. your subconscious demands. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. I love it. Uh, but this is not the Maybelline podcast. No. This is Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch, and this podcast has some very explicit rules. Okay. Well, first you said medicine men, and now you said explicit, and I think. Uh, your connotation engine may be broken, Michael. <laughs> oh? Um, because in a technical sense, the rules are explicit. But in a, in, a, in a much different sense, they are not explicit in the way one might think. <laughs> uh, which I, well, they're explicit in that we explicate them at a certain point in the podcast. Yes, well, because it's my wife who explicates them, I do have to be very specific about our use of the word explicit. Okay. I see. see. Well, see, what I was trying to do was lead into an introduction of your wife so that she could come in and read the rules. Yeah, well, I I was too, but then you, like, made an implication that I had to... Anyway, Karen, do you want to read the rules? I made it implicit. All right, we're done with this now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four, Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six, 
the wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven, if four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. Thank you for reading the rules, Karen. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah, so those are the rules. This is the podcast. Now we're pouring the scotch. And then when we clink those glasses, the rules go into effect. And oh, you had a real, then the like, podcast officially starts. You had a real, like, what? cartoony, like, squeaky, 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 squeaky. Whereas mine was just, like, a straightforward one that I'm now ashamed of. <laughs> no, you know what? It's good to have variety. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. All right, Ethan. Schlank. Oh. Slombrosja. Nice. Uh... You know what we didn't do? We what didn't, didn't do, we do? We didn't do any social distancing jokes. Hey, I'm kind of proud of us. Yeah, I kind of am too. For for that, you know. Uh, um, what, I, I lost all that pride as soon as you brought yeah, it up. Yeah, I know. But one one could argue that we have never done any social distancing jokes, but you know, <laughs> never. We've never done that. Well, in the in and... the sense that none of them have been jokes. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I've yeah. I've now brought shame on this podcast, which was going to happen one way or the other. But yeah, you have, and therefore you must um, commit seppuku. I think that's the I only. Think that's, that's like the unwritten rule. Yeah, that's that's an implicit yeah. implicit rule. It's not explicit, <laughs> even though it might also be the most explicit. In a different <laughs> quite um, quite. Oh, uh, yes. Speaking of all of that. I guess what I don't have. Sure. <laughs> what don't you have either? I don't have my book. The book? I know. <laughs> so it's, it's to, to pull aside the curtain briefly, some time has passed since the last couple of episodes we recorded, um, but not enough time for me to not still be in the middle of moving into a new house. And um, <laughs> my wife has unpacked some of our books. Which means that I am now staring at my copy of The Orchardist. Um, oh, nice. So you've got that yeah, one. Yeah, I have that one. So if we need to reference The Orchardist now in this episode, set of episodes, like, that can happen. Uh, got it. I missed your first Google call specifically because I was frantically pawing through boxes and piles of books looking for my copy of this week's book, but no dice so far. Well... Load up that shotgun and shoot yourself in the face. No, wow! Because the book we're discussing is Shotgun Love. Oh, I see. I see. (laughs) That's still like two real dark jokes right in a row. Like, I know, I know. Well, we didn't have the social distancing jokes to kind of soften that blow. That's true. I don't know how that works, but it it is technically true. It's it's exactly how it works. Okay. Well, thanks for. Um, so, well, we're going to talk about this book, whether you have the book in front of you or not, Ethan. I wish we would. You'll just have to make it up as you go along. <laughs> uh, yes, we're discussing Shotgun Love Songs by Nicholas Butler. I, um, it is... Implementing a, a yeah. concept that I believe our friend Josiah... No, it was maybe, maybe our friend Jacob, uh, I think, pitched to me at one point, um... I have not also read the book. Like, this is going to be a podcast where one person has read the book and one person is just commenting on a book <laughs> he hasn't read. Oh, uh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> that's that's not actually true, but uh, you. So you did read did the book, read right? I just won't remember okay. anything about it because I know, don't have it in front of me. I mean, it would be still an interesting sort of thing to. Um, to discuss a book that one host has not read. Yeah, well, that was, I, again, I think it was, I think it was our friend Jacob 
uh, pitched that to me at one point that the two like we do an episode where the two of us have read the book and he hasn't but but all three of us sort of share the conversation about it yes I think that would be amazing uh, it'd have to be a good book don't tell him because I told him no but that's only because I tell Jacob no about everything you know and that's generally good practice yeah. he needs to hear it from somebody yeah, exactly <laughs> I don't think he listens to the podcast though I'll be very surprised. No, I think he said that he won't listen until he reads the book. And so he's never going to yeah, listen. That sounds, that sounds like him, anyway. <laughs> anyway, to end this discussion about someone most of our listeners... Uh, anyway, so yes, Shotgun Love Songs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Shotgun Love Songs by Nicholas Butler, published 2014. So fairly yeah. recent. Um, and since this, this was his first novel, I believe. Yeah. Um, and he has been quite a bit more prolific in the six years since this novel um if not one book a year it's it's pretty darn close i did like a google search and saw several other titles by him um already so and that's just like novels he's he's done um other writings i think even like nonfiction sort of things um in various magazines and such so he he's more or less a professional writer at this point (laughs) I think uh, um, I mean like that's his that, full-time job but yeah but this one um, shotgun love song so we should give the the listener a chance to read yes. it listener, read it and, and read. then we'll we'll discuss it some more so let's let's do that I'm gonna remember it right here at the front for our listeners to pause the podcast pick up this book, read it, and then come back uh, unless you want to be the opposite of Jacob, in which case you listen without no, you reading. read without listening. Except that's also what he said that he wanted to do. I forget. I don't know. That, I don't know. that conversation happened like Anyway, four read the book, come back, listen to the rest. <laughs> and you, so you finished the book, listener, and I, I'm assuming... Yeah, I'm assuming that you finished it. We can only assume. Um, yeah, so, it, um, okay. Really brief. I just want to give, like, the background to this book, kind of the, the digest form of it. It takes place in a small town in western Wisconsin uh, and centers around a group of friends after they've all kind of started their own lives and their interconnections that go on um afterward um now i want to say right at the outset that the structure of this book is interesting it does a couple of things in one sense it does like the whole multiple narrators right or at least multiple perspectives right multiple perspectives yeah um like each chapter quote unquote and there's not a lot of chapters they're just long chapters yeah by and large um is uh, a different perspective but the way they're structured as well they they're not necessarily all looking at the same events either it almost feels epistolary in some senses um it's maybe like a step away from an epistolary because it's not there there isn't any actual direct right. address um i could i could see uh, yeah i could see like an epistolary style structure in the sense that Mm -hmm. um like the the strength or even the principal feature of an epistolary novel is that you usually have a story arc compiled by multiple narrators um yeah and of course the uh uh conceit in an epistolary novel is that this is because these are letters and so people are just writing letters to each other you could almost call this like a deconstructed epistolary novel in that it doesn't need the um sort of that excuse or that that justification of people writing each other letters it just uh accomplishes right. the same effect more almost more directly or with less uh less artifice less prevarication yeah yeah, and I think um, part of the, the reason that I thought of it in in such a way is... Um, so you get this story in the first chapter that Hank 
is narrating. You don't realize it's Hank at first. It's just uh, headed by a big stylized H. Um, and then you right. learn names later in, like, I think I wrote down page 23, where somebody says his name, um, Hank. Um, Eddie. Eddie right. calls out his name. Um, and so you realize, okay, the H is Hank. And But by that point, you've met everybody else. So each other chapter, you're going to realize who those people are as it goes through anyway um you get this whole story it's um uh it's kip's wedding yes in this whole first chapter and then it kind of jumps around there's time that passes in between the the chapters so it's each chapter is kind of a personal reflection on events that happened in between the chapters oh sure or before or after, which is where I'm kind of getting that epistolary yeah. sense um, of it, which does lend just this whole atmosphere of these are just stories that people who know each other are telling or reminiscing about in this small town around this yeah, bar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, which is ultimately how the whole thing concludes. Um, now, I know you don't have your copy with you, Ethan, but the book ends um the book ends with a a a paragraph that's offset by about three lines of blank space um and i think it's hank's chapter again um yeah so hank bookends the book um and hank is saying here and now a new jar behind the bar there just a little mason jar this time suitable for chutney or jam or a few dozen string beans mostly holding just air except for one thing heavy and loud at the bottom lee's bullet pickled in nothing and shot from the pistol of a stranger passing through town um and so this it's 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 a really nice picture ending you can almost see that being like the last shot in a movie just that description you know um what i'm wondering is why do we have it here and nothing really leading up to it until this last chapter i'm gonna start off with some complaint (laughs) is is how i'm gonna start this this whole book Uh, discussion here um what what was your what was the it in the question you just asked? What do we? Why do we have what here, with a, nothing leading up to it? Um, this this picture, this oh, picture okay. of this bullet, um, that's that's there. Uh, which my my complaint here is that this bullet is introduced in the last chapter. There was no gun anywhere up until the last chapter. This, this gun is so totally foreign. Um, to this whole thing, um, to to this yeah. whole town, uh, it's it's a stranger passing through town. This is there. There's no story structure leading up to this this stranger who comes in. He's almost a Deus Ex Machina, but without any plot to resolve necessarily. Just a character arc to sure. kind of solidify. Um, and then we have. I have ideas about this, but I'm going to phrase it in the term of a complaint because I want to hear your thoughts in case they're better than mine. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I doubt that they are, but I'll sure give it a shot. Um, <laughs> as it were. Sure. Uh, I'm trying to decide if I did that on purpose, actually. Anyway. Um, I, I, uh, I actually think that you're um saying that the the stranger coming coming through town that shoots the bullet is like a deus ex machina except there's no plot to resolve and i think that among there are several several different directions i could go with this but but among other things that may actually be the key to what we're seeing here um that uh and you, you mentioned that that a lot of this this book bears resemblance to um, tales told around a bar in a, in a small town that happens to be in Wisconsin. Um, mm-hmm. I would argue that small town bars the world over share more than, share more in common than, than, uh, than differentiates them. Um, 
like mm. hitting some of some some of the like smaller, more more sort of local bars in say Galway when I was in, in Ireland. Um, in a lot of ways I could look around and yeah, they were watching hurling or Gaelic football and, and yelling at that instead of at, you know, the, the Packers or whatever. Um, but I could look around and see a similar structure in that bar that I could to, uh, you know, a bar in the town that I was raised in. Um, and I mm. think that uh, a major feature of bar stories is that they both, they have this tension between them where a lot of times they both come out of left field, but they're also about um, very sort of universal truths. Uh, and I may be cheating a little bit because uh, to have these thoughts, I went into the interview with Nicholas Butler at the back of the book. Um, mm. In which he mentions that this this last chapter, the story, essentially comes from a real story that um, uh, that I believe his brother told, maybe or something. His brother-in-law. Yeah, so it's like a real bar story, and to me, I didn't I didn't like have the complaint that you did, Michael, because to me that feels exactly right, like. Um, you're, you know, this this as the last bar story of the night. Uh, you you'd pitch it as, and again, this kind of thing could be true in Galway, it could be true in, in you know, a small town outside Madison. But you'd pitch it as, oh, let me tell you about the time that we stole the uh, stole the pickled eggs and got shot at by a jerk from Illinois. Um, <laughs> and like that's how you pitch the story like that's how you get everyone to listen but actually this story is about how you uh reunited with your best friend sort of sort of emotionally and, and mentally after having the most serious rupture of your of your life so far um the that it's a it's a deus ex machina is only uh problematized by the fact that if it hadn't been a bullet it would have been something else but in this case it happened to be a bullet um so i think that in other words while the imagery is not set up throughout the rest of the novel the um the the like emotional arc is uh really here is the fulfillment of everything that came before it um, and the bullet being so foreign, being so out of left field, um, actually sort of, sort of, uh, both distracts you from what's actually going on, but also sort of like centers it, uh, the idea of, of both foreignness and alienness in, in tension with, um, nativity, nativeness, nativity is the wrong word, but, um, mm -hmm. uh, that, that tension is, uh, seen throughout this this novel it's it's sort of the um you know where where are you from and what does that mean are like sort of the two chief questions at the heart of most of this novel and um the fact that especially in a small town in wisconsin you know if you wanted that imagery to be set up uh, you, there's no reason you could not have included one or indeed many scenes at a shooting range or even just shooting at hay bales out on the farm. Like, um, mm -hmm. the fact that that bullet comes out of left field to mix my metaphors slightly here, uh, I, I don't <laughs> think is unintentional and I don't think it's, it's inappropriate. I think it's very much a, a bar story, um, kind of a thing so very good I, I i really like um your explanation for for a lot of this and it does tie in with some of my own ideas as well um because this book is immensely preoccupied with the idea of um belonging that nativeness um versus foreignness or strangeness yeah. alienness um and so and and that's Lee and Kip possibly are the two that experience um, the tension about that the most. 
Um, and Lee here is the one who winds up getting shot and has that rupture with, with Hank. Um, and so he's really concerned about, does he belong here in Little Wing in this small town? Is that part of who he is um, anymore? Does he have any right there? And so having an invader target him is maybe one of the... And then to have another native care for him is maybe one of the most direct ways to ensure that fact that, yes, he does belong. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and tied it, in with that, if you are if you are talking about symbolism here, what happens uh, as a result of um, this invasion and this, this native person caring for him? What's, what's the next thing that happens, physically speaking, to Lee? To Lee, um, yeah. he gets ta- driven back to his house. Yes, and then what? Uh, he's operated on by his friend, by Hank. Uh, yes, and then what happens, or maybe it happens sort of in with this. Uh, I'm going to start just shooting at things here to um, add to the get, metaphor. Um, does he get he, put in a bathtub? Yeah, he's put in a bathtub. Okay, okay. Run over him. Um, Yeah, he's he's put in that bathtub, and then there's a breakfast pad as well. Yeah, what 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 (laughs) does that set of symbols make you think of, Michael? Um, Baptism and communion. How about that? Yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I know it was a difficult route for you to get here, and that you definitely weren't like right there almost as soon as I started saying this, but um. yeah, okay, I follow, I follow. Yeah, so it is like his um, reinitiation into the community. Yeah. Um, in in that that way, and that it's it's done by someone that he's not an outright enemy with, but you know, at odds with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly in danger of becoming an enemy strengthens that reconciliation yeah yeah (laughs) um it's interesting too that you talk that you say that uh uh lee and kip are the the biggest the, the ones for whom that question is um sort of the, the biggest deal because they're certainly the most obvious and especially yeah. in sort of a physical sense they are mm-hmm. both the ones who leave and who uh, imbibe is the wrong word but but participate in um a culture that seems very foreign to this the small wisconsin town uh mm-hmm. whether it's you know the culture of of show business and stardom or the Physically not that relatively distant, but but um, culturally and right. maybe even spiritually very distant uh, realm of you know Chicago, uh, uh, um, was it like commodities trading or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, but so so yeah, those those two very much do have that question. But to me, it's interesting how Hank and uh, his wife, um, Beth. Yeah, Hank and Beth almost have like the the shadow ver- version or the flip side of the exact same question, um, specifically because they functionally have almost like never left the town. Mm-hmm. Um, so as opposed to having that question because they have gone away and they they may not be welcomed back, they have that question because. They wonder if, and and you know, as someone who has lived roughly twenty five of his thirty one years in the same town, um, <laughs> I identified with this, you know, very much so that uh, you sometimes have that that question as a person like that because you never have lived anywhere else. You wonder if you actually belong here or if you just sort of are here by default. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's um, an interesting take on it. Well, if we're getting personal about it, um, <laughs> I've never lived in a single place longer than seven years. Um, 
so the the whole concept of hometowniness, like sure. I conceptually get it, but I don't get it. <laughs> right, and that's that's something both with this book and just in general that always occurs to me, is that you can really only be a person like me or a person like you, probably, because hmm. uh, at, at least certainly at our our stage in life, like. Either of us could move somewhere else and settle down for 20 years and then have mm. been a resident for 20 years. But, like, especially by the time you're in your early, mid-30s, probably you're, you're like me or you're like you. Like, you've, you've probably either lived the vast majority of your life one place or what feels like none of the majority of your life any particular place. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to be young and not be one of those or to transition from one into the other sure yeah yeah at a certain point like the roots are set even if those roots are in the air (laughs) yeah Um, yes that uh yeah so and that's something that it keeps coming back to with all of these characters um even kip who who i want to talk about a little bit more too um who eventually i think in the in the epilogue or whatever it's it's not the epilogue but the 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 end of this whole bit we hear that kip left um they they did ultimately he and his wife um alicia they moved away i think yeah um and so like they they did leave they didn't stick around in this town but he still does have those roots here Right. Um, and there is a certain degree to which this town, this home, would never really throw him out, even though um, he does feel kind of thrown out to an extent. Um, the The book doesn't really cast a, a villain either, and that's not necessarily anything we want to discuss, but um, the... Nicholas Butler, somewhere in the conversation, I think, um, in the back of the book, says something about Kip. Uh, Oh, yeah, he says, Kip, for example, comes across as a kind of a villain, but people are complicated, contradictory, multidimensional, and if they are in some ways villainous or spiteful, there's usually a reason for it, something that shaped their worldviews in very particular ways. Uh, And then the very next question, is there one character whose worldview you most share? And he says, I suppose the character I'm closest to who is most like me is Kip. Um, So... Kip, the one who might at first glance seem to be the villain, ultimately turns out not to be. And there's a particular chapter in here um, that uh, is Kip's chapter where he gets into all of this stuff. Uh, and he... It, it's its a redemption chapter. And for Kip's character, he really needs that. The, the, the interview with Nicholas Butler at the back... Um, he talks about Kip, who comes across as a villain. Um, I, I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but I can see what he's saying about that. And he objects the idea of Kip being a villain simply because people are, uh, he says, com- complicated, contradictory, and multidimensional. And then he also says uh, the character that he is close lo- closest to, who is most like him, is Kip. Yeah, um, I thought that was that's where the... quite interesting and... Um... Yeah. Possibly very humble. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I could see that. Um, but Kip gets uh, an interesting um, re- redemption chapter that I think is kind of necessary for his character, too. Yes. Um, and that starts on page 235. Uh, this is after Ronnie was lost and now is, is found again. Um, and... Uh, Kip was kind of cast as a, a hero in that search as well. Not that he himself um, did the the finding um, and all that, but he was providing the space for Ronnie to recover and and such, and yeah. and preparing everything for Ronnie's wedding. Um, but uh, he has this whole section where he regrets how he treated his friends. Um, saying, I wished I could have done things over, done things differently. Um, talking 
with Felicia, first of all, you know, reconciling with her before marriage. He says, also, I wish I hadn't called the paparazzi, which was kind of the inciting incident for a lot of the, the tension among the friends. Yeah, if you were um, going It to... really just... Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it alienated Kip and Felicia, first of yeah. all. And the, the rest of them were united more or less against them. But it... Um, which reflects some of um, this idea of... of otherness versus nativeness yeah um, um i was that um, i was just gonna say if, what, whatever other conflicts you might have within one another if there's an other that you're united against then that's the focus you're united that your other conflicts don't matter as much right because you've got a common enemy and kip was that common enemy yeah so, um, so but then other things started falling apart later right two things um one is that i was gonna say that like if you were arguing against the author and were really insistent on um casting kip as the villain that whole calling the paparazzi thing would probably be like the single incident that you'd point to um yeah and then related to that like this is this is a thing that um i've seen happen in groups of friends in real life is uh where if one of them like groups groups of friends you know okay now i'm trying to say four things at once as usual um <laughs> it occurred something occurred to me that a professor of mine in grad school talked said about jane austen's novel per i believe it was persuasion um have you read persuasion michael i have not but it's my wife's favorite of jane austen's novels so that means i better get down to reading it or i'm gonna get it yeah no kidding um I'm surprised your marriage has lasted this long based on that information. Uh, but, um, so I believe, per is Persuasion the one where they spend a lot of time in Bath? Um, that sounds familiar. I know familiar. you just said you yeah. hadn't read this. What's that? It sounds familiar. Okay. As, as far as what I remember of my wife saying exactly. about it. Um, which is exactly what the knowledge I was consulting. Um, so in that so my, my grad school professor said about that novel that it's about culture or it's about um uh society and the idea that um some of the societies that are present in that novel are just two people that two people can form a culture or a society between them um and i think groups of friends like this form sort of a you know their own culture that reflects the culture that they were brought up in whether that's you know mm -hmm. as broadly cast as modern united states of america or as narrow as like red wing in western wisconsin um but the uh uh what i was starting to say is that i've seen groups of friends do this before where one of them sort of violates the culture of the group and the others sort of bond over like hating that friend um oh, sure. and it's definitely not a healthy phenomenon like <laughs> what what happens next is either the friend group usually falls apart and not just that friend like a lot of times it, it's like precipitates the whole group sort of splintering um or they find a way to reconcile that um and you know come together as a as a stronger group afterwards mm -hmm. um and I, there are several in between yeah, possibilities but those are the two sort of major ones there yeah it's it is a very common thing and that 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 whole bit in this novel just comes across very very real um that these do seem like very real people in a lot of ways um not only that you get to see all their perspectives and stuff, but even when you're seeing someone else's perspective talking about someone, that person seems more or less like a, a real person. Yeah. Um, and that's that's maybe a, a really good strength of this novel that it it presents its characters as as real. People. It refuses to play heroes um, and villains. Um, like it it almost yes. explicitly rejects that both. I would say both structurally as well as in, in character development. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the plot... If we want to talk about 
plot in this novel and the, the struggle uh, or the main conflict of the plot. It's it's not so much concerned about villains as it is about these interpersonal relationships, which do have a lot of complicated layers and facets uh, to them, which involves a conflict with the other as well as a conflict with yourself and a conflict with your allies. Right. Um, it, it's it's marriage is is another central theme of the novel. It's right brought out from the first line of the book where hank narrating uh introduces lee's character without even naming him saying we invited him to all of our weddings um that right there we've got okay all of our weddings we're we're gonna have which the way it's phrased you know it could be that all the weddings occurred in the past but and now we're gonna continue the relationship going forward um, but that's something else that pretty much each of these chapters do. It sets something in the past, but then it goes back even farther to right. depict all those things. Um, I'm, yeah, uh, it, it does that a, a few different times. But here, yeah, we start off looking at Kip's wedding, um, who's is the, the second of the, the four friends to right. get married. Um, Hank and Beth are yes. already married by this point. But then we see some of their wedding two later on um which it would be disappointing kind of if we didn't just simply by the expectations the book gives us um we want to see that we get glimpses bits and pieces here and there but really that's um it it becomes a a commentary not a commentary i don't like using that word for this necessarily but it it examines marriage as a relationship and the struggles that are involved, the the conversations that happen, and the the conflicts within and without, and and what strengthens a marriage and what um, breaks yeah. it apart, um, and yeah, I mean you've got just looking at the the the, the quote unquote best marriage of right. them all is Hank and Beth, um, which like Beth has has the, this internal monologue when she's witnessing other weddings, especially Lee's wedding, where she's like, "Oh, that's not going to last. They they don't mean the words they're saying. I meant it when when I was saying these right. words to Hank. Um, and it's it's something sacred and, and solemn and deliberate. And so she's making these comments, not right. explicitly, <laughs> um, but implicitly uh, comparing marriages. So, like, we've got this picture of, of Beth and Hank and their marriage being, like, the best and the, the most perfect and the most compatible. But then theirs suffers a rupture um, as soon as they are put right. in conflict with one another. Um, as soon as they're not facing common struggles, a common enemy, um, then the marriage is starting to weaken. But even in their... Um, when that starts happening, they do still have a united mm. front. Um, the kids are, are one of it. Their kids serve as, as um, an outlet for that united front. Beth makes a few comments about how good right. Hank is with the kids. And like she's tempted at times to resent it a little bit because of their own um, conflict. Right. But then just realizing that, no, this is something they are united on. Um, caring for these kids. And so that becomes something that does strengthen their relationship and so it is this this external conflict and internal conflict um that is a big old mess all around in in the whole book sure um, and marriage becomes kind of a vehicle for that discussion as well um no it's well you have a reaction because i've now set myself and have only myself to blame for this of uh (laughs) thinking about jane austen um one of the the things that uh this this book remind me of now that i think about it there's like a lot of comparisons you could make to jane austen actually um pro- like uh, i guess the the idea of a romance okay. or a romantic comedy being sort of the least of them though definitely not not there um but specifically um now that mm-hmm. I got me thinking about Jane Austen, uh, uh, you know the 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 uh, idea of like sort of a gentle 
lightly comedic, um, somewhat somewhat um, self-aware, but not necessarily heavily ironic uh, picture of sort of like solidly middle-class lives. Like Jane Austen's characters maybe tend towards upper, cr- upper crust, but they're usually not like the richest of the rich, right? They're not the owners of Downton Abbey. Um, they're maybe the the hated cousins who um, are begrudgingly given a small cottage on Downton Abbey's grounds. Um, and you could say you could say a lot of the same things about Shotgun Love Songs. Um, but the the thing that mm-hmm. uh, sort of um, again the parallels the analogies would be a little a little rough, but I think they're there. Um, but uh, the thing that I was starting to say. Um, three rambles ago is that uh they the the pride and prejudice specifically i've heard called um almost a uh almost like a cataloging there's a different word that i was looking for and i can't think of it but almost like like a catalog or a uh um a a sort of picture of the different types of marriages that there can be um that uh it it gives all of these and and it gives them all as sort of foils for or or informants of elizabeth and darcy's um uh you know ultimate ultimate marriage and as addressing the question of like if you are as two very sort of stubborn independent characters if you are going to have a marriage like what intentionality do you have behind it like what do you want it to be um and i would definitely say that you could say a similar thing about this like you get um uh kip and his wife's marriage you get you get lee and his wife's marriage um and i'm not being sexist here i just can't remember character names um but uh you get, you know, and then you get Hank and Beth as this almost centering <laughs> thing, and then you get um, uh, Ronnie's Ronnie's marriage, and um, I have to I have to assume that it's not an accident that fifty yeah. percent of these marriages end in divorce because Kip and his wife and Kip and Felicia, um, they end up divorced, right? Uh, Calippin, Cl- oh, that's no, right. they don't actually. Um, um, yeah, so you have they're, they're separated, you have sort of, you but have then the, they the couple reunite. that gets very quickly divorced. You have the couple that has troubles, uh, but ultimately reunite. At least ultimately, in terms of the text itself, um, you have Hank and Beth, who are held up as both like the standard that everyone else looks up to, but they have their troubles. Uh, they just don't ever even get so far as separating. Um, and then you have Ronnie and... I forget her name. Lucy? Yeah. Which, and again, this may just be a function of the particular Lucy? sort of window of everyone's lives that this novel chooses to explore. But, like, arguably speaking, the two of them are, like, the happiest couple in the novel. Um, unless I'm... Unless I'm misremembering something, but like, I want to say they they pretty well get together. I mean, Lucy mm. is is shown as having some you know some of her insecurities, and Ronnie has his problems. But as a couple, like, I don't think they ever have like a major like fight or separation or anything. Am I am I remembering that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean the the climactic events of the novel uh, come pretty recently after their marriage um and then the last we hear of them is they move out of town again um but yeah as as far as we can tell what they're left with is is possibly one of the happiest marriages which yeah as as you pointed out it is um maybe a little ironic because lucy if that's her name i can't remember for sure um she was a stripper um and, which doesn't necessarily give off vibes of being um, good material for a lasting marriage. Um, 
And Ronnie is not as famous, but certainly has the fame that um, Lee did, you know, going out um, on the, the rodeo circuit and stuff, um, being kind yeah. of a, a... he has a similar dynamic. There's a similar dynamic in Ronnie's life where right. if he wants to just sort of up and go back to that life, he can do it, have a certain amount of fame, have a, probably a certain amount of, you know, access to... Yeah. Well, and, and how sort of um, the other characters um, treat him, I think, um, even in Ronnie's internal monologue, at one point he even says they don't think I'll ever get married. Um, because, you know, he's got this brain injury or whatever that... Right. We don't necessarily see explicitly how that changes him. Like, yeah, he's... You get the impression that he has some some um, mental retar- retardation, perhaps. You definitely perhaps. see it implicitly. Um, especially how he's he's treated and how Lee really, like, fawns over him and protects him and stuff. But then in Ronnie's own chapters, he seems normal. Which, I mean, that might just be the difference between the internal voice and the external presentation, um, which can certainly be there. But, like... I don't know. Yeah. It's 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 interesting that Ronnie, this this dynamic character, yeah. winds up um, having one of the most stable marriages at the oh, end. Yeah, yeah. And as far as Ronnie's character goes, um, I think part of it probably rests on on the nature of brain damage, which, and I and I am far from a even an amateur doctor um and you know uh, uh, in the difference between amateur doctors and professional doctors i'm not even an amateur doctor um and now that i've made every every medical professional listening to this want to kill me um i will say that like i you know i don't i don't under claim to even understand what all the mysteries are but i know that brain injuries and and um things like that are still very mysterious in spite of our sort of advanced knowledge mm-hmm. of the brain and of, of sort of body science. Um, and so like, I, I suspect that a medical professional would um, yeah. take issue with your use of the phrase mental retardation, just because we don't know that no. that kind of brain injury, that that's what that is versus right. some other kind of damage. Um and the other thing directly related to that is that um, this this sort of, even to this day or to, you know, 2014, say, um, the uh, small town in Wisconsin element uh, it has a different sort of, I guess I would say, Maybe holdover, and I'm not necessarily saying it's healthy, though I'm not saying it's unhealthy inherently, but a different way of treating those with mental damage or mental deficiencies, um, such that, like, there are certain people in the town I grew up in who, uh, you know, probably have, you could, you could say, mm-hmm. relatively high-functioning autism or some other, like, disorder that's... Um, classifiable at this point but they just sort of live with their parents or you know with with a with a sibling um and they have very happy lives and they're very high functioning um and they've just never been officially medically evaluated and 100 years ago you'd just call them slow right like you know that's the that's the johnson kid he's a little slow um and ronnie's sort of treatment is I think a cultural holdover from that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and again, you can argue that it's that that's it's a better thing or a, a less good thing than necessarily going, say, to Mayo Clinic and getting fully diagnosed or um, having some battery of treatments or whatever. But uh, again, I'm not. I don't feel qualified to argue either way on that issue. But he again, Ronnie is very. Very like I've known Ronnies. There's the town I grew up in. There's there's I can think of two or three Ronnies, um, and again they they quite often have very happy lives, um, you know, and and for all intents and purposes mm-hmm. seem 
quite happy, but there's just something off about them that in a small town we definitely don't fully understand. And, you know, it's it's uh, up in the air whether, given given sort of advanced psychiatric treatment, whether even then you they would be what was what was going on would be fully mm-hmm. understood. Um. And and so that said though, like yeah, Ronnie is the person that that your your friend group probably almost treats if if he's in your friend group, you treat him maybe as a mascot, maybe as someone someone you protect. Um and like you said Michael, you don't well and and like basically all of the other characters say you don't expect him to get married, much less mm-hmm. have a happy marriage, but um you know, sometimes there's a uh yeah someone like yeah. that will is, will surprise is, you and, um, i mean it's it's a delightful surprise because um you are set up from yeah. the beginning to want ronnie to succeed um to like ronnie um yeah i mean he's he's got this sort of innocence that kind of comes across as a result of his brain injury it's not actually innocence but it kind of yeah. comes across that way, and so you want him to succeed in that way. And then when you find out more about his background, like that he has possibly one of the most cinematic scenes in one of his chapters when he's reflecting upon this time that a, a guy tried to rape a girl in a truck stop and he beat the crap out of him and stole his shoes. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, that's amazing, <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, yes, running! <laughs> right. uh, and so, yeah, when he gets his happy ending, yeah, I mean, that's satisfying. Um so, um, right. well, I do think uh, we are coming up on our time here. There's more to discuss, but anything you want to shoehorn in here uh, at the end of this episode before we um, take a break and go on to the next one? Um, just since I don't think it will come up again, just one thing that, that talking about Ronnie uh, uh, like made me think of in real world terms. Mm. Um, it, okay, two things. Um, I'm not finished talking about Ronnie. <laughs> uh, don't rush me. Anyway, um, so uh, thing one is the idea that Ronnie actually, you could argue, um, falls into one of my favorite archetypes of all time, mm-hmm. which is the holy fool, um, which is archetypally, and I'm not looking at anything as a reference source, so... Um, all of the literary critics who obviously listen to this show don't get at me, but or do get at me because I'd love to hear uh, what I got wrong. But um, the Holy Fool is generally sort of someone who is simple, or sometimes they're like a drunk or something. Um, and they're someone who seems like high society, high culture would look down on them, but um, they end up sort of being the one to show everyone else that that like maybe there's something deficient in their lives and they themselves end up often you know sort of being the happiest and sort of least needing to change character um if they're the main character they're often what's called a catalyst hero someone who doesn't actually change but changes Mm -hmm. people around them um don quixote has been called a holy fool uh Elwood P. Dowd in the play and movie Harvey is another example. Um, and Ronnie fills, fills some of that function. Um, but the other thing that I was, that, that he made me think of since we've, since we've apparently, uh, chosen to go somewhat personal in this episode, um, in the, in the town I grew up in, which is a small town that if, uh, um, wait, what's our town's name? Yeah. Little Wing. If Little Wing existed, uh, the town I grew up in would be about two, two and a half hours south. We might have played each other in the, uh, uh, you know, state state basketball championships or something. Um, but uh, in the town in, in that town that I grew up in, there was a guy uh, who always just like hitchhiked. Um, you'd see him around the area hitchhiking. He was kind of an older guy, you know, had that weather-beaten look that a lot of, a lot of like homeless people or 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 you know sort of hobos kind of get. Um, but if you knew anything about him, you knew that he had a home in the area. He just enjoyed hitchhiking. Um, he just liked to hitchhike around the area just because he could connect with people that way and you know talk to people. Um, 
And, you know, growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, like, it was not a good time for hitchhikers. Like, uh, you know, you common wisdom was you didn't pick up hitchhikers because they might be serial killers. Um, but this particular gentleman, and in later years, uh, he had a he had a hat he wore that said nut on it, N-U-T, as in, like, he labeled himself a nut. Um, but... He uh, uh, he would just hitchhike around the area, and I remember one time, um, I I fell in walking next to him, like I was just out for a walk, and and um, you know we were walking by each other, and he got talking, and he told me the story about how as a young man, he he was like he described himself as a rebel, you know, someone who he rode a a fast motorcycle and he got in trouble with the cops all the time, and um. You know, just that that kind of person. Uh, and he handed me a laminated newspaper article from 1984 about a young man who had gotten into a motorcycle accident. Um, and that was this guy. And he said it almost killed him, uh, but also that it saved his life. That if he had continued the way he was, he would have just, um, you know, died somehow terribly. Um, either drugs or, or drink or some you know some other some other thing like that and he said this motorcycle accident and the recovery from it changed him into a completely different person and he clearly has brain damage but according to himself like this brain damage is what saved his life and what what sort of made his life um in a sense made it into something worth living or something that he was was happy with um Mm -hmm. and like that's that's the kind of real world person that I think of when I think of someone or when I read a character like Ronnie. And again, both as a fictional character and as you know some of these real world world examples, they don't give any easy answers. As far as if you ask yourself, like, is someone like that mm-hmm. better off brain damage? Like, that seems like a horrible question to ask. Um, but you know, again, like it's. It's a, I don't know, it's just a really interesting aspect of human experience that I've only ever encountered or seen represented in small towns and in fiction about small towns. Um, and again, you know, that might just be my own sort of limited experience, but uh, that's, that's, that's like part of what informs what i think about sure. a character like Ron. Oh, that's that's really good insights and i like that anecdote too um so i i think <laughs> yeah you're hitting on some some cool stuff in there with ronnie and and i'm also loath to give up discussing him but yeah i i i'd had without putting it in those terms really that um the holy fool idea about him too um which is a really cool archetype. Um, yeah, it's it's one of my favorite archetypes of all time, and I think I love it so much that I struggle to articulate it uh, in my sure. own fiction. Um, but when someone else does it, I just I, just, I do tend to sort of yeah it up. yeah sure. All right. Well, with that, I think we will um, close this episode uh, of Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch. Yeah. Um, no one lost this episode, uh, so we've got one more episode in this set uh, while we're drinking this uh, Glenrothes 12-year, and so we'll see if next episode either of us lose. Um, and if neither of us lose, we both lose. So well, That's true. And uh, you that, know what means that means... We well, both... it means we both lose. I don't know. Lose. I don't actually have anything else yeah. I was... I was heading towards there yeah all right well uh next time gentle listener we're going to keep discussing shotgun love songs by nicholas butler so give us your feedback on that uh go to the tapsterradio.org website put scotch talk in the subject line in the contact section there uh or get in touch with us at room with scotch on twitter or on facebook and the tapster radio tap house if you request to join we will let you in uh unless you are a guy that got beat up by ronnie unless he says you're cool then we'll let you in um <laughs> uh there how's that um 
Also, we will do your homework. Uh, we don't promise to do it well, but we do condone plagiarism. That is the firm stance of this podcast. Plagiarism is funny. Um, so go to our website, tapsterradio.org slash scotchcast. Uh, fill out the form uh, right there at the top of the page. Uh, and we will do that homework. We'll do our best. We'll try to make it fun. And we encourage you to turn that into your teachers. And we will uh, laugh as you are hauled away to plagiarism jail. Um if you like this podcast, check out the other shows in the Tapestry Radio Network, like Intermission, the backstage drama podcast, Us Play Fiasco, the uh, actual play fiasco RPG podcast, and Pokemon Rollout, the Pokemon Tabletop United actual play RPG podcast. Uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, so that others can also learn about us and support the podcast that way. Um... Ethan, where can they find you? I am at Bjartlett on Twitter. That's B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Uh, it was a joke I made in 10th grade, and I'm not backing down from it. Um, I also have a, a web comic that I write the script for. That's Pin Porter Girl Detective, um, pinportertetective.com. It is a film noir-inspired fairy tale detective comic uh, starring a 12-year-old girl who, if she existed in real life, I would be terrified <laughs> of. Um, but she's great. Good. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's, yeah. that's me. Um, I also All right. wanted to... Oh, I forgot what I wanted to say. Never mind. Uh, go on, Michael, please. Okay. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L, so follow me there. Um, and Ethan, Oh, I know what I wanted to kay. say. I was going to ask. <laughs> it's that, you, you, know, in, uh, you know in The Flash, around about like season two, season three, when they've like put a bunch of bad guys in their like extrajudicial, unconstitutional, like super oh, yeah. prison? Oh, yeah. That's how I envision plagiarism jail at this point. Like, there's just a bunch of, like, 19-year-old college sophomores who thought they could get away with something, and now they're imprisoned forever. Love it. And no matter how much they shapeshift, they can't get away. Right, out. right, because it suppresses their powers. Yeah. I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, until next time, just remember, it's our party, and we'll cry if Ronnie makes us, I don't know, I was going to say season four Barry Allen makes us. If season four Barry Allen makes us. There you go. Nice. So we're becoming the Flash cast. Okay. Bye. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.